Hey, um, yes, my name's Josh, and I uh, am so excited to be here. And I, I want to tell you, for the first reason is this, that I love the opportunity to share from God's Word. It is such an honor and a privilege to get into God's Word and, and hopefully to illuminate that and to bring it to life uh, for all of you today. I'm also excited today to be able to see some great friends, um, some alumni, some long-term friends, um, but I'm also excited about meeting so many of you guys. I've already met somebody uh, just a little bit ago that have been partners in our ministry that I had never met in my life. And they were like, you're the ones that send out the letter, right? And I said, yeah, that's me. Um, and I, I say that uh, humbly because, uh, you know, my writing is awful. Um, I remember one time um, with my uh, staff, I was writing a letter and I, I shared it with them. And over half of it was written out, red marks all over the place with a big red heart on the top because I was that bad at writing. Christina can tell you, she was right there. She uh, laughed all the way through that one. Anyhow, uh, I'm just honored uh, to be here with you as a partner in our ministry. I'm excited to share with you guys that uh, what we are about. Um, we are all about making disciples of college students and sending them off as missionaries all over the world. Um, you guys have been a huge part of that over the years, as Rob said, and you guys have even sent a Timothy of this church to be a part of our ministry as well. One of the things as a practice of mine when I go to churches like Velocity, uh, I typically, as a guest, want to pray for your church, but I particularly want to pray for your leadership. And uh, especially if Rob's been on this vacation slash bucket list trip, I really want to spend some time praying over Rob. So you guys will join me, with me in praying. Father, as we come before you, may you be the one who is honored, and may I step out of the way. May you be the one who speaks, and I close my mouth. May you be the one who opens hearts, and may I recognize that you are the power to do so. But God, as I am here in this place and standing right here in this moment, I can't help but recognize the folks who have who've done this all along. And so, God, as I uh, come before you, I just want to lift up to you my brother, my friend, uh, Rob, and just ask that you would just continue to renew and refresh him as you've been doing over the past few weeks. Uh, God, we also pray that you would just uh, continue to help him to grow, to be the man that you've called him to be, the husband, the father, the leader for this, this kingdom work here, God. I thank you for the staff and how you have gone ahead and prepared and used them in incredible ways, God. And so many of them I know and so many I love so deeply. May you be blessed today. May you be the one who shows up. And may we just acknowledge you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that uh, I'm going to say a few times today is that context is king. This is the first lesson I learned in, in Bible college that I actually remembered. Um, but I, and context is king. And you're going to learn that if we get into so much of what we talk about, that I'm going to be setting up context to help us really understand what's going on. In the context of kings, even what we've been going through the last few weeks, you know, Dominic, Two weeks ago, my, my dear friend and brother, my 
co-servant in the kingdom work at VCU. Uh, he shared two weeks about how to become a better disciple, how to take the next step forward to being more like Jesus. And last week, Tim uh, took us on a different journey to help us to learn more about what kindness looks like and how to be more kind and why to be kind as a follower of Jesus. And let's take that to the next level. Well, this morning, I have been praying that we can pull those two messages together and that we can live out in Jesus and in turn live out through his followers through this eyewitness accounts. Today, we're going to examine two accounts of Jesus' healings, a man with leprosy and a boy who was demon-possessed. We look in, as we look into what really happened, let's also open our hearts to taking another step towards becoming what Jesus has in mind for us, following after the example of him himself. You see, context is king. In Matthew chapter 5, verse through 7, uh, Jesus preaches a sermon on the mount. We're going to learn this. Both these stories have mountains in them. Both of these stories have Jesus in them. But this is a sermon on the mount where he is gathering around with this large number of people, and he's sharing with them about the law. He's helping them understand that the law is not just about being obedient. It's about having the right heart. You know, it's, it's, for example, it's, it's not enough just to not murder not to kill somebody. That's the law. The obedience is not actually murdering somebody, even when you want to, right? Well, but not just enough for that. So we have to get our hearts in the right place, and let's not hate. Let's not have anger in our hearts. I know this is pretty basic for all of us, but I want you to grasp where this has been and where we are going. See, Jesus is raising the bar from physically keeping the law to keeping the law with all of your heart and with all your soul as along with your mind. See, this is hard, hard teaching. And I had a college professor on the very first day of his class who said this, two things. He said, there are way too many of you in my class and you need to look to your left and you look to your right and one of you needs to drop my class right now. And I was like, what in the world? And he goes on, well, the second thing I need to tell you is this. My class is hard. And about a third of you are going to fail my class. So if you're not putting, willing to put in the work, you might as well drop my class. So the amazing thing in that is that the very next class, over a quarter of the people who were in that room were not in that room at the very next class. They'd all drop the class. In a lot of ways, it's a lot like what's going on, is that Jesus is teaching a hard, hard teaching. But if we pick up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 to 29, I want you to hear what the people said, what the people felt about this. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, this hard teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. They weren't, they weren't quitting. They weren't running away. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it, right? We've all heard that many, many times. But obviously, Jesus said it in a great way. And not just, and he probably was filled with a lot of compassion even as he said it, so it could be heard and understood and received. 
If we continue on in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, it says, When Jesus came from the mountainside, a large crowd followed him. This is the next part of the story. Yes, he's told this amazing sermon, and they were all amazed at it, but they kept following after him. The large crowd wanted to see what was next. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I think it's fascinating that right after Jesus does this incredibly hard teaching, taking everything from being obedient to really driving it through the heart, and really, how do we do this? And he has people who won't stop following him. It's amazing to me, right? It's almost like telling everybody, you guys are never good enough and you're never gonna be good enough and so you might as well quit and what does everybody do? They keep following anyway, right? And yet these people, they get to see who Jesus really is, not just the word that he said, but they see him and how he interacts with somebody else and a man with leprosy comes and kneels before him, a man with leprosy in that day and time was somebody whose skin was peeling away and it would start rotting and falling off and so much so that sometimes they would lose digits, sometimes on their hands and their feet. The people all thought that it was contagious and so what did they do? They sent them off into a colony all by themselves and if they were ever in the presence of normal people, let's use those words, normal people, what did they have to call out? unclean, unclean. Why? To give distance, to allow people to take the path away, okay? And so when this man with leprosy comes and kneels before Jesus, he's already called out, unclean, unclean. And Jesus, fully God and fully man, He had every right and ability and every knowledge to escape the situation. But Jesus, fully God, fully man, filled with compassion, does not leave. And I love that. And the man cries out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Listen to verse 3. It says, Jesus reaches out his hands. And he touches the man and he says, I am willing. Let me just stop right there. If you've been sent off into this colony, you can't even go into the most holy place, the place where you always want to go. You want to go to the temple. You can't go there. And plus, you're in a colony of people just like you. And guess what? No one can touch one another because, and imagine that. If you went days, maybe months, maybe years with ever, with not ever really being able to embrace somebody to high five. Man, I love high fives. That's what I do with my college students. I'm like, hey bud, hey, good to see you. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a fist bump. You know, that's the new thing, the C-O-V-I-D word, right? The, you know, the, maybe it's a side hug or even a full on hug. Can you imagine going that long without that? And here is Jesus. Here is Jesus, this man is before him, and he embraces him. He puts his hand on him. I imagine he puts his hand on his shoulder or maybe even on his head, and he says, I am willing. 
He doesn't just embrace him to heal him. He embraces him to acknowledge him, to help him to know that you matter. Let's continue on. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't go tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, this is an incredibly messy situation. And as I share this story, I hope that God brings to mind maybe a messy situation that you know of in your life at this very moment, a messy situation that maybe you have been avoiding. You know, for me, it was, it was my next door neighbor, he just moved, um, gone through a lot, drugs, alcohol, divorce. Um, strange is a, a word that you could use to describe him, but yet at the same time, he's loved. He's not just loved by his family, he's loved by the Lord. and. Uh, I have to confess to you that sometimes I struggle to love my next door neighbor in that way. But as I read this story, I'm confronted with this idea, more than an idea, a life that I'm supposed to live that follows after Jesus and is supposed to reach out and show compassion, show value. And maybe if the Lord leads, brings about some sort of healing in their lives. I hope today, I'm praying for you today that as you hear this example from Jesus, this living testimony, that you will choose to do something different today. To reach out and somehow make connection with somebody who has value, who needs some compassion, and maybe you can help them experience the reality of Jesus in their lives. So who is that that God has brought to your mind right now? The second story is a little different. It's a story that's going to be a little bit confronting to those of us who maybe have no relationship with Jesus, but I hope it's even more so confronting for those of us who do, because uh, this story is amazing. Again, context is king. By the time we get to Mark chapter 9, that's where we're going to next, the disciples have been through and seen a ton. The 12 have been called to leave their jobs and their families and to follow after Jesus and done just that. They have seen Jesus heal many. The man with leprosy, the man who, with the shriveled hand, the, the deaf and the mute, the the blind man, the, the dead girl, the sick woman, the woman who's been bleeding for years. He's even raised the little girl back to life. And Jesus drives out demons. They have seen Jesus calm the storm, walk on the water. They've seen him feed the multitude with just a little sack lunch. And they have heard the parables and all of Jesus' teaching. They've even seen how Jesus responds to the question, the attacks from the religious leaders. They've seen uh, all of this, but they've experienced even more. You see, Jesus had sent out the disciples and he commissioned them to go two by two into different towns preaching and uh, sharing the message of that the 
kingdom of God is coming. And he would also say, hey, heal the sick and drive out the demons. And you know what? Jesus did exactly that through them. How amazing that must have been. And they saw the Lord working in amazing ways. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they said that some say it's John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the prophets. All dead at this point. And so it doesn't make sense. And then Jesus asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers out, and I give Jesus, Peter all the credit for this. He says, you are the Messiah. And not long after this, Jesus begins to tell them the horrors of what's going to be going on in the coming days. He's going to die and be raised from the dead three days later. And this time, Peter, I love Peter, Peter pulls aside Jesus, pulls him into the corner, starts slapping his hand. You say, you can't talk like that, right? You can't. You can't say those things. And if you just imagine this, it's not even like 10, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour ago, Peter had just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he pulls him aside and says, the Messiah's not supposed to talk like that. Isn't that ridiculous? It's ridiculous. In Mark chapter eight, verse 33, um, Jesus turned and looked at all of his disciples and he rebuked Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. And I want to just say this real quick. I don't believe that that is just toward Peter. It's about the influence Satan has in Peter's life in that moment. But it's not just in Peter. It's all his disciples, all those who are in that circumstance. Because they were all thinking the same thing. But Jesus says this in Peter's direction. And he needs to say it in my direction. And he needs to say it in our direction. And he says this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What are some of the things that have held you back from those messy situations? What are some of the things that have really just deterred you or maybe distracted you from doing anything? Uh, for many years, I drove down to VCU almost every day. And I come in on 64, and I get right off on, uh, right on to Chamberlain, and I take it into the town, to the city, and I go to my office. And for many, many years, and you probably can identify with it, every day I would see multiple homeless folks along the way on the corners asking for money with a nice little sign. Not, not normally all that nice, but it was a sign nonetheless. And it was my practice for several years to get into the middle lane. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get into the middle lane because the middle lane, they can't reach you. The middle lane, they can't harass you. The middle lane, I don't even have to look at them. You see how selfish and God-less that is? Uh, I made it a habit for many years since then to get into the far right or far left lane, just so that I could acknowledge, show value. And I'm not sharing that with you to say, hey, look at who Josh is and how amazing it is. That's a minimum kind of thing that I can offer. 
I don't normally carry cash around with me. Every once in a while, I'll give them a bottle of water or something like that. But I want to show value. But there's some times in our lives where we get too busy or we get too moving too fast. We have deadlines. We need to be somewhere at a certain time. And I even think about when I'm driving along and I see somebody pulled off the side of the road and they're just trying to change a tire and I just want to help, but I know i got to make an appointment. What are some of the things that get in the way? What are some of the things that are distracting you? Do we have in mind the concerns of God or merely the human concerns? Well, six days later, Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus becoming transfigured on this high mountain and saw the appearance of Moses and Elijah. This is when we pick up in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, when they're coming down from the mountain. And this is what it says. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. The word had gotten out about Jesus, how amazing he was. They had probably heard some of the stories of things he had done, probably heard some of the amazing teachings that he had taught. Verse 16, it says, what are you arguing about with them? He asked. And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you uh, my son who is possessed by an evil spirit. Um, he has been that he has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Imagine a father's heart broken for your son. Um, I have to tell you, I have two children. Uh, my wife, Jamie, and um, my son, Caleb, and my daughter, Catherine. Um, they all say that I'm their favorite preacher, uh, which they're not here, so I don't know if that's really true or not. Um, but they all say I'm their favorite preacher, but um, I can't imagine being in a circumstance where my son or my daughter is in this circumstance. I can't imagine what I would be feeling, my emotions. I, I don't want to imagine it. But I want you to put yourself in the place of this father. In verse 19, Jesus replies, he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? And who's he talking to at this point? Is it the whole crowd? Is it the, the father and the boy? Or is it the 12 who can't heal this man, this boy? It is my belief that it's probably the 12. That's a pretty chastising word that are reserved mostly for those you care about and those you have invested in. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying. He said, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? 
From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire and water to try to kill him. And I wanted you to imagine the Father, but if you can, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, remember the desperation of what he says, if you can? He exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I love that in our American English Bible, it has an exclamation point. There's so much is missing in the Bible and how it's being shared and how we can understand it. But when there is an exclamation point, it helped me to understand the desperation. Help me overcome my unbelief. I just want to see this become reality. What a powerful statement. And maybe you are in this room today, or maybe you're at home, and you don't have a faith relationship with Jesus, with God, the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to cry out. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's a first step. And it's a beautiful step to letting go and following after him. And when Jesus saw a crowd, in verse 25, saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He's trying to do this in private. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, it convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Very much alive. Very much alive. That's what Jesus offers for all of us. When we cry out, help me overcome my unbelief, Jesus offers us life. Incredible, exciting, amazing, fulfilling life. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replies with a very simple answer. This kind comes out only by prayer. <laughs> uh, that's a, so many of us, that's like a, uh, duh, yeah, you have to pray, right? But I think it's more than just the word prayer. Lord, would you take this out of this person? We have to believe, and we have to cry out to God on behalf. You see, we have to recognize and trust that God is the one who actually does the work. I've been in uh, campus ministry almost 20 years now. I've seen campus ministry fail. Um, my first ministry was an abysmal failure. Two years in one campus in Tennessee, two students with two other staff members. So we had more staff than students. We had more staff than money. It was awful. I've seen it fail, and I believe after many years, 
It failed because I wasn't desperate enough and I wasn't lifting it up before the Lord, that's for sure. I figured if, if Josh Smith showed up on the campus of Middle Tennessee State University, the Lord would open the doors and God would do his work, right? Because Josh Smith was there. What a stupid idiot I can be. It's not till I recognize that God is the one who does the work and I show up and I just say, Lord, I want to be on your team. I want to see you do the work. That's when God does his thing and he lets me be a part of it. And how amazing is that? So when I read this story, I believe that his disciples had, had gotten off track. They haven't recognized it is God who does the incredible work. That we, they needed to just join up with what he was doing rather than trying to be God themselves. And so I share this with you. Perhaps to open your mind and your hearts and your soul to what's been going on in my life for the last 10 years. But also I, I pray that this opens your mind and your heart and your soul to what God wants to do outside these doors. You see, it's great that we get to gather. It's great to be able to worship in his name and to open God's word. But it needs to be carried on outside. It needs to be to a place where the, everybody recognizes the Holy Spirit in us. And they want to hear what it is we have to offer. And that thing needs to be Jesus. I tell you, um, uh, we have a former staff member, uh, not from this church, um, but who was amazing at reaching out to those who were unloved. Those who were a little weird, a little bit set off, a little bit. And so much so that he literally went off and met up with somebody at one point just because they were sitting by themselves eating a bagel. And I got so excited when that young man came and was a part of our campus ministry. And I got even more excited when the fruit of that beginning relationship led to him being baptized, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it's not me. And it's not even that staff member. It's God who does all of that. I share that with you guys as, a, as someone who just been along for the ride for a while, riding the wave, seeing what God's been doing. And I hope it challenges you, encourages you. It fills you up with this desire to reach out and connect. You see, uh, the beauty of all of this is that uh, the, we learned that the disciples started to figure this whole thing out. And you see, when we read the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts in our Bible, we get a a first-hand glimpse of all that God does through the disciples, the 12 apostles. They, they start this church with this huge, miraculous moment from God speaking through them in the Holy Spirit. And from then on, the church grows and grows, and we are a product of that to this day. I don't want you guys to miss this. To this day, I just looked it up. I was sitting in the back earlier this morning. There are 2.38 billion, with a B, Christians in this world. 2.38 billion in 37 million congregations. And we are part of a larger church that has all started with faithful men who were dared to reach out. 
And they dared to allow God to do his incredible work. And why aren't we supposed to carry that on? Because we are. We are supposed to carry that on. Let's pray together. God, you are the one who moves. You're the one who works. You are the faithful one. You are the one true God. And we pray that you would continue to do your amazing work in and through us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.